Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful that we can worship Christ, the newborn King, Christ, the suffering Savior, and Christ, the risen victor over sin and death. Lord, we ask that you would help us to lift up your name in song. We pray for the special. Lord, I pray that the preaching would be simple and from your word this morning. Lord, the greatest act of worship that each one of us can involve ourselves in today is the surrender of ourselves, our hearts and our wills, to the King of kings and the Lords of lords, to Jesus Christ, the one we worship, our Savior. We ask that you would help us to worship you, not only this service, but through every moment of this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing a little babe in the manger for a few minutes. Amen. And I like handing out the tracks. And by the way, I'm not worried about what Starbucks puts on their cups or not. Amen. Uh, I like what one preacher said in a chapel service at Heartland. He said, I don't go to Starbucks for my theology. I go there to get a cup of coffee. Amen. And uh, the, the simple truth is, if you want to Use Merry Christmas, get a stack of gospel tracts that we have printed up. Uh, It says right there on the front, uh, what do you want for Christmas, right? And and, uh, I pass them out and say, Merry Christmas. And I always love it when someone just, hey, somebody said Merry Christmas. And they smile and they take the track automatically. Can I be honest? I I enjoy it when they go, hmm. Because I know I either got somebody from Islam or uh, Jehovah's Witness, people who believe don't believe in Christmas at all, or maybe I even got an atheist. You know, my favorite question for atheists is, are you honest? I've, I've never, ever met an honest atheist. In fact, oh, we got 30 seconds for a story. We were out street preaching one day, and a lady walked by. She thought she was going to be real smart as we were... As I was trying to illustrate the gospel, and you know, if you've seen this, I'm not an artist at all. It's nothing, it's just a simple presentation. She goes, I'm an atheist, just like that, while I was trying to preach. And, and, I, and I hope this was the Holy Spirit, not the flesh, but I just looked at her and said, but are you honest? I said, I've never met an honest atheist. And she's about 50 feet up sidewalk. She turns around and says, oh, I believe in God. And keeps right on walking. I mean, how could you write this stuff? You see, you can deny the truths of the Bible all you want. But that's all you're doing is denying the truth. And this morning, as we look at this Christmas time, and we've got Several weeks, Christmas Sunday is, is uh, December 20th this year. And I would encourage you, if you're at all able to be here, to be here for the Christmas Eve service uh, on December 24th. It is just going to be a very special time. We're uh, going to have a lot of people help with the uh, music. We'll have uh, the rest of the uh, students home. We'll have everybody here. Sarah and little Pammy are coming. And so... Uh, and Chad, too, I mean, uh, uh, but uh, he's hoping to get here just for the Christmas Eve service. And so uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, a time and, uh, I, uh, of rejoicing. I can't think of a better way to start the actual Christmas celebration than in church with the Bible. Amen. And so what I want us to do this morning is as we read the Christmas story, I tell you, there's a lot of things going on. It was, it was not just this wonderful little time where everything just happened good. It was a fearful time. It was under the Roman rule. Uh, the religion of the Jewish people had devolved into just a series of empty traditions uh, it was a time when you could hardly find, we talked about faith in, in our, through the Bible time this morning, 
uh, it was hardly a time when you could find faith even among the Jewish people who were the people and still are the chosen people of God. And four times in the biblical telling of this story, as the men and women lived the events, they were told directly by God, or as angels, fear not. Four different times. And so this morning, I'd like us to go through the fear nots of Christmas. And I believe that they'll have an incredible application to you and I today. The first one in the telling of the story is Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. And we'll just read the verse and then we'll pick up the story. It says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, isn't that kind of strange? The angel says, Fear not, for thy prayer is answered. How many of you have ever been afraid when God actually answered your prayer? I mean, I want you to understand a few things. Zacharias was living right. Look at verse 6. Well, let's just do 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, sorry, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both now well stricken in years. Now, here's the story. We have Zacharias and his wife. He was a priest of the course of Abia. His wife was the daughters of Aaron. That was the direct line to the high priest. Uh, this was, uh, he was what we would say a, a priest held in high honor just because of his family lineage. He was a descendant of Aaron, uh, named as a priest. You had to be able to prove this all the way back. There could be no missing links in your genealogy. And yet his wife was a direct, in-line descendant of Aaron himself. I mean, this was uh, uh, one of those, well, what we might say, match made in heaven, whatever. I mean, this, this brought Zacharias into a special place just in the honor of the Jewish people. But more than that, God said, they both lived righteous lives. And they were doing what was right in the sight of God. And for some reason, God did not give them a child. It says Elizabeth was barren. And they had lived their lives praying over and over again that God would give them a child. Now, why was that so important? Well, you have to understand something. The history at this point, Aaron lived almost 1,600 years before the time that is being recorded here. How many of you could trace your family history back 1,600 years? I mean, I can go back a couple hundred years. But 1,600 years and not miss one generation of either him or his wife. And now that line that had continued over a millennia and a half was going to vanish from the pages of history because Zechariah's had no son. Can you feel the urgency of that just a little bit this morning? I mean, we have no comparable thing in modern history 
that you could trace back your family heritage that long. I think the longest one were the kings of France was about 500 years. This was over three times that. And it was all going to be gone. Do you think you would pray very seriously about having a child to carry on the family name, a son? Zacharias had done everything right. He was not part of the self-righteous tradition that had taken over the temple. At this point, your average priest in Jerusalem did not believe in anything supernatural. Uh, If they were alive today, um, uh, if you remember Brother Horton, uh, when he was around, he, he wouldn't preach a sermon without talking about the modernist. Well, that, that was the battle that was fought just before his generation. Uh, they came in in the 20s and the 30s, and their influence was felt in the training schools for the ministry in the 40s and 50s when, uh, and 60s when he was in there. And, and, and they didn't believe in anything they couldn't see and couldn't perceive, nothing supernatural. Those were the Sadducees that are talked about. They were the priests. Uh, Zacharias was one of them, but he wasn't a Sadducee. You see, he believed in God. So he couldn't be, oh, can I do this Sadducee? Amen. But he wanted a son that wouldn't be a part of that empty ritualistic tradition. He wanted someone that was going to fight the next generation for the cause of truth. I mean, there was nothing selfish at all in Zechariah's plea for a son. And God was going to answer his prayers. But not in the way that Zechariah would want. Maybe. I think Zechariah was very pleased when it was all said and done as you will always be pleased with God's will if you actually find it. Amen? That wasn't much of an amen. How many of you have actually found God's will for your life and know it? I mean, couldn't you shout amen to that from the... uh, It's a wonderful thing. And Zechariah had no idea how God would answer his prayer. But as he was offering incense upon the golden altar in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the Bible says that this was his lot. Uh, History and those who are supposed to know all of these things say that this would have happened once or maybe twice in Zechariah's entire life. He is now an old man. The Bible tells us he's well stricken in years. And finally, it would be his turn to walk in in the morning with the incense and offer that on the golden altar before the veil in the temple. The Bible tells us it's a picture of our prayers. And as he had gathered the burning coals from the brazen altar in the courtyard and had carefully cleaned the ashes that were left from the offering the night before, he sprinkled those coals out on that golden altar and began to lightly sprinkle the incense on. Of course, it would smother the actual flame that may have been ignited there and the heat would have melted those spices and the entire temple would be filled with the most incredible smell. Now, the Bible tells us that if any individual tried to match that incense, that they would be cut off from Israel forever. That was special to God Himself. And just an aside, it's an illustration for you and I today to understand that our prayers are special to God Himself. That's why we don't share them with saints and other great people. We don't pray to anyone but God the Father. In Jesus' name, prayerfully under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how true prayer happens. That's what Zacharias was doing. Now, the Bible hadn't been written yet. 
And so God had to send an angel to give Zechariah the news. And his first words were, I mean, imagine, here's the temple in Jerusalem, arguably, and look it up in the history books, one of the wonders of the ancient world. It, this was the temple that Zerubbabel had built. Seventy years after the first temple, Solomon's was destroyed. Then Herod, forty-some uh, years at this point, had come in and begin building one of the most magnificent structures that was ever in the entire Middle East, right up over top of Zerubbabel's second temple. It was actually considered the same building. It's called the second temple uh, in in Jewish history. And it was, people would travel from all over the world just so they could stand on the outskirts of the temple. As a, as a Gentile, you were not allowed even into the inner courtyard just to stare at the buildings and the things that went on there. If you were a Jewish man, you were able to come to the very door, the outer court of the temple. Only the priest were able to enter the temple itself. And here he is alone in the temple. The golden candlesticks flickering their oil light on the walls. And he sprinkles the incense and all of a sudden a man appears. Suspended in midair. Angels don't have wings. They don't need them. Cherub have wings and the angel just stood there now how many of you would be afraid Uh, I think I would be Uh, I think if you weren't afraid we would have to check you out for lacking a lot of other things too like sense amen Uh, one angel killed 180,000 soldiers in one night I think there's something there that would uh Uh, bring up a little fear in the most stout of any hearts. And so Zacharias looked up and the angel said, Fear not, your prayer is answered. And now I'm going to tell you how that prayer is answered. He said, You're going to have us, your wife is going to bear you a son. Verse 14, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great, verse 15, in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, but he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that the words that the angel is quoting here come from the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. This is how the Old Testament ended, that before the coming of him, he was going to send someone in the spirit of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers to prepare a way for the Lord. This was the answer to all the prophecies. This was not something made up. This was something they had waited 400 years as the Jewish people to have a direct revelation from God. I mean, I'd like you to stop and think about something. 400 years ago, At 1615, it would be five years before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. It would be whatever it was before the Dutch started New Amsterdam, which became New York City. This this was nothing but an Indian footpath. Sometimes I wish we could go back and just see what it was like back then, but that's not neither here nor there. They had not had direct revelation from God in 400 years, and here is the first. And the angel said, 
Zacharias, God's answered all those prayers, all those years. Your son's not going to carry on your heritage. He's not going to be there to fight the next generation for truth. Because he's doing something far greater. He's going to announce the Messiah to the Jewish people and to the world. Now Zacharias does the dumbest thing he ever did. He stopped being afraid. This angel is standing there suspended. Someone said, how can you know it's an angel? Sometimes in the Bible it says they look like men. Uh, Would you just trust me on this that I think you'd be able to tell the difference? Amen. Uh, And... Zacharias loses his fear. He says, How shall I, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. He's just saying, "Uh, God, uh, can you prove that you're going to do what you just said to me? How many people do that with the Bible? I wish I had a dollar for every person that sat in my office or I talked to Well, I know what the Bible says, preacher, but that's what Zacharias did. He says, your prayers are answered. Everything you've given your life for is going to happen in a way that is so fabulous you couldn't even dream it if you wanted to. How's that going to happen? Angel said, you want a sign? I'm going to give you one. Since you used your mouth, To question God's word, you're not going to use it again until it's all fulfilled. Now, the angel didn't say it in those words. The angel said, verse 19, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and show thee these glad tidings, and behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Zacharias was afraid when he saw the angel. The angel said, don't be afraid. Your prayers are answered, and they're going to be answered in such an incredible way that you wouldn't even dare to dream, to presume upon God, to ask this privilege for your son. That he would be the one that announces the Messiah. His name was John. We call him today, as is in our Bible, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the son that was born to Zacharias. And Zacharias and Elizabeth... uh, I wonder, we saw a a drama one time about the Christmas story and they had some little line that some cute writer put in there that that Elizabeth was happy that Zacharias couldn't talk because she wouldn't have to put up with him for the uh, period of time there. I, I don't find that in the Bible anywhere because he communicated enough that when the baby was born, she told everybody his name is John. So there, there, Zacharias, uh, there may have been a little Baptist in him because he didn't, even though he couldn't talk, he was still communicating everything that he knew. And, and so Zacharias communicated this all, but he didn't get to speak to after the baby was born, after the baby was named. And then it says in verse 63, It says, and he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they marveled all, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake, and praised God. And you read the thing that he tells there in the prophecy that Zacharias makes. Uh, It's it's an incredible uh, study right there and then in all of that. But this morning, what we're looking at is the fear nots. He says, fear not, Zacharias. Your prayer has been answered. Let's go to the second one. If you're still in Luke chapter 1, let's go down to verse 30. 
In fact, we'll pick it up in verse 26, get the context here. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The angel told Mary to fear not. What we have here is the revelation is the actual events of God bringing salvation to mankind. Could you imagine taking part in those events? You see, God had already planned, if we read our Bible, before the foundation of the before the foundation of the world before he said let there be light god already knew there would be a cross everything in all of history was pointed to one moment when jesus would utter those words it is finished and etch them forever upon the foundation of god's love when he came out of that tomb on resurrection sunday morn But this was roughly 33, almost, well, just a little over 34 years before all those events came into being. And the angel Gabriel appears and says, Mary, don't be afraid. God is going to use you for something we call the Incarnation. I remember having to take a class in Bible college called Christology. That is the theology of Christ. And we spent weeks on the hypostatic union, how Jesus is holy God and holy man at the same time. And trying to understand and looking through this and and how God used Mary, and, and our professor was reading this book and quoting this man and bringing this in and all of that. And uh, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy the class, but I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I like the Bible's explanation better. If If I had a choice between taking that whole class over again and just... reading what my Bible says, this wins every time. You know, the reasoning and thoughts of man do an awful lot to muddy up the waters and help us miss the simple truths of the Scriptures. That was what the angel was telling Mary not to be afraid of. Do you think she had any idea what was about to happen? Well, let's, let's read what the Bible says here. Then verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God... Nothing shall be impossible. That's the only answer that Mary got to her question. And Mary's uh, response was, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know, I, I prefer the Bible 
over the theology books. It says, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon thee. The thing that is born of thee is going to be called the Son of God. You know what? I don't need to know anything else than that. And it's just that simple that even a child can understand if they want to. But how many people are afraid of God's salvation? How many people are afraid of simply understanding that Jesus is the Savior of all mankind? I've heard people in our modern day back up and say, well, uh, we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But, you know, everybody believes in Jesus. No, they do not. The Jesus of the Bible was not only a great prophet. He is God. Can we say amen to that? The Jesus of the Bible did not come to teach us Only, He came to show us the love of God on an old rugged cross and to show that only He had victory over sin and the grave, over life and death, that He alone in all of history is the only one that can say, Come unto Me and I will give you rest. Why are people afraid of Jesus today? Well, you know, we, we don't want to offend people of other faiths. I would hope and pray if someone comes into this building and sits in a service that does not believe Jesus, that they would at least go to hell being offended at the truth. Rather than being comforted and patted on the back and told that they were okay and all of a sudden say, why didn't that preacher tell me the truth of Jesus Christ? Now, we don't need any more jerks for the gospel. Do you know what I mean about that? We don't need people out there running around. Uh, I actually met a guy one time. He put a sign on his car. The Pope is a dope. Now, that's really going to help people understand the love of Christ now, isn't it? Oh. But why can't we just preach and teach Jesus for who he is? You know what Mary said in just a few verses? She said, I rejoice in God my Savior. If you have a Savior, that means that you need to be saved. And so if you teach that Mary doesn't need the same salvation that you do, You're ignoring this. You're running away from the Jesus of the Bible and embracing some false, man-made idea of who Jesus truly is. Why couldn't we believe that Jesus doesn't need any help in saving us? No one could help Him on the cross. I don't care what Mel Gibson's blasphemous movie implies. It's not true. Jesus doesn't need any help to love you because He is God. God is love. You see, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Some people call this the magnificant of Mary or the magnifying of the Lord. But then they use it to magnify Mary. Excuse me. The word magnify means to enlarge. We have magnifying glasses. I put them on so I can read the words and not make mistakes because they're not big enough. Uh, Because if they had a Bible with big enough print, it wouldn't fit on my pulpit. Amen? Uh, But that's just the word magnify. That's just simply what it means. How was Jesus magnified by Mary? God with us. 
She was the instrument that brought the enfleshment of God. That's why his conception had to be different. We'll get to this in a minute. God did not break any rules. But he did do things a little differently than you and I would understand. But he had to. Because this is God's redemptive plan. This is the Savior of all mankind. Look at verse 55 as Mary is speaking here. It says, uh, 54 as well. He hath hopen, that's past tense for helped, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. You know, there are theological books that have been written trying to explain this statement that Mary had here, and they don't do near as good a job as Mary did. Mary said, Jesus, that child that is going to be born from my body is the answer to the promises that God made Abraham over 2,000 years before. That in his seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And I, I want to challenge you. Can we test that statement for just a few moments before we move on? We're not talking about Christians. What we're talking about is pe- people who call themselves Christians. We're not talking about them. We're talking about people who really believe in the Bible. I want you to take an economic social survey of the world. Where is the most freedom and the most prosperity on the face of this globe? It's not in Catholic nations. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick on the Catholics today. And if you want to do a job worse than the Catholics, I'm sorry, look at the Orthodox. Oh, the oppression and repression of people by that organization is unparalleled in history. In many instances, the communists were actually a step up from the Orthodox Church. Study the history, read the books. Islam? I I want to challenge you. Where have people been blessed with freedom? It's in places where this book has been preached. You see, Mary understood not the theology. She understood how it works. That's why Jesus said, if you know the Savior, He'll set you free. I'm sorry, this sermon may be very offensive to some people. And that's not my intent. I never try to be offensive. And by the way, it is a gift and I could do it if I wanted to. That, that's not hard. I'm not trying to be offensive today, but what I am trying to do is to get us to understand the truth. Jesus told Mary to fear not because the things that were going to be happening to her, that what she was going to do is going to change the course of all human history. And that you don't need to be afraid of a Savior that saved even Mary and all who will come to Him. You see, you don't need to be afraid of God's plan of salvation because it is the only way. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. This is the third, fear not. We only got two more. This one and one more, all right? That's all there are, so... We'll have you out of here before 2 o'clock, I promise. Um, 
Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. See, Joseph was the son of David, a direct descendant of the king. That was necessary to fulfill the prophecies. And it says that they were espoused, which in the Jewish culture was actually marriage. In fact, once you were engaged, uh, formally engaged in the Jewish time, in this time and, and history, you had to get a divorce, uh, a legal divorce to separate the engagement. It's not like America where... Uh, you're not done until you walk down the aisle and say, I do. Uh, once, and, and even then, you've got to sign the marriage license and mail it in and register it in order to have a, a, a legal and binding marriage. The, all of those things have to be done. It, all of that was already taken care of. Mary and Joseph were married. You know, some blasphemous... I, I, I hope it's just plain ignorance, but I can't believe that have said things like, well, God bent the rules a little bit here. No, He did not bend any rules. They were legally married. They All they had to do was choose the date on which the marriage would be consummated. And usually that was a surprise. There would be anticipation for sometimes weeks in a little town like Nazareth, everybody in the town would be involved. And Joseph would put out the word to some of his closest people. It's going to be Saturday night right after Sabbath. Or it's going to be Monday. And they would start, you know how the grapevine works in a little town? I mean, everybody knows what you eat for breakfast. Uh, everybody knows everything. And Joseph would get that started and the whole town would be buzzing And then the time would come and Joseph would finally say, let's go guys, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. And the whole town would end up marching over to the house of the bride and she would be brought back to the house of the groom and they would have uh, a time of feasting and celebration. And I mean, it was just a incredible thing. It was, it was a community event. You see, Joseph knew some things about Mary. If it had been any other person, Joseph wouldn't have been engaged to her. He, he couldn't comprehend the fact that she had been unfaithful to him. It didn't make any sense. That's why he wasn't trying for a public bill of divorcement. He didn't know what was going on. He was trying to handle this in the best way he knew how. The problem was... He didn't know enough how to handle it. And so God had to appear to him and give him direct revelation, direction on what to do. You know what the angel was telling Joseph? Don't be afraid to do this my way, God's way. Trust God. 
How much trust would it take to believe that the person that you were marrying who is with child was not unfaithful? Could I, could I challenge you? That would take more faith than any one of us could muster in this room. Because the facts deny the truth. You, you just can't get past that. Except in this instance right here. And that's why God had to personally intervene. And he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to trust me. I am doing something that has never been done in history and never will be repeated in history. And Joseph did as the angel had bidden him. Can I ask you a question? How many of you are afraid to just trust God with something in your life? You know how you can tell when you're afraid to trust God? Is you're trying to figure it out on your own. That doesn't work. Because if you could figure it out on your own, how in the world is God going to get glory from it? If the solution to your problem is so simple that you could figure it out, how in the world could God get any glory from that event? Sometimes God puts things in your way that are so big because we refuse to simply trust Him. How big was this deal for Joseph to trust God? I tell you, Joseph was one of the greatest men of faith that ever lived. He took God's word. And he obeyed it that night. He gave up all of the things that normally were his to have. You see, in the Jewish thing, uh, in the Jewish culture, the wedding was not about the bride. It was all about the groom. In our weddings today, it's all about the bride. And... Sometimes people say, well, she gave up a big wedding so she could marry the man she loved and all of this. And Well, no, this is what Joseph actually did. He gave up everything that was socially acceptable and part of his right as a man in that culture so that he could be obedient to God's word. And that stigma was going to follow Joseph to the grave. In fact, there would be the Pharisees getting out their little notebooks when Jesus was in the ministry, looking up and said, We be born not of fornication. We researched the events and your, your parents got married in, in the middle of the night without any fanfare. <clears throat> uh, that tells us something wasn't quite right. But Joseph just trusted God. Don't be afraid to trust God. God. That's how you get saved. Amen? And what am I supposed to trust God with? Well, it's not like the marriage agreement that this couple had. She told the husband, says, now listen, we're going to work this out so we don't fight a lot. He says, I'm going to let you handle all the major decisions and I'll handle all the minor ones. He said, well, that sounds pretty good. He said, what are the major decisions? Well, you're supposed to decide if the president should declare war. Uh, you're supposed to decide uh, uh, the economic state of the nation and all of that. She says, as far as the house is concerned and the checkbook and how we make the decisions and raise the kids, those are all little decisions and I'll take care of them. Well, that might make peace in the house, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. See, when you trust God, you're supposed to trust Him for everything. Amen? Now we got one more fear not. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And this is the most famous fear not. And so we won't spend a tremendous amount of time here. 
But we do want to get this in. Verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even to Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known. Unto us, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds were told, fear not. You need to go see the Savior of the world. You know something? You can know everything that's in this Bible and still miss heaven. Because you've got to go to the Savior and accept Him by faith. You see, I've had people, and we'll be done in just a moment. Remember one story in particular man that no longer comes to our church whatsoever. This was his story. He said, I wept all night asking God to show me what the truth was. He said, I didn't sleep. He said, I was just wandering around on the streets of Astoria. He said, I I said, God, I've got to know what the truth is. And he said, I ran into you and you gave me a track from your church. What a story. Wow. I said, well, let me show you what the Bible says about being saved. And I did. And he says, yes, I I believe the Lord Jesus. And I said, well, the next step is baptism. And he, he, he followed the Lord in baptism. And I said, now you need to learn what the Bible teaches about your faith in Jesus Christ. And... And uh, I took over, uh, went over to his home and opened up the Bible and, and gave him our first lesson in what we called discipleship. And it was all about the Bible. And he completely changed. He said, all you talk about is the Bible. I said, yeah. He said, you don't believe in the writings of anybody else? I said, that's exactly right. We don't care who wrote it. We don't believe it. We just do the Bible. That's what being a Baptist is all about. We are historically known as the people of the book. And we only have one. It's called a Bible. It's got 66 little ones stuck in it. Amen? Uh, But it's one Bible. And he is the one that I've referenced on several occasions when the topic came up. He said, I'm never coming back to your church. And I said, why? He says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. And I just looked at him and called his name, and I said, if there is any reason not to be a part of this church, that's it. In fact, that's the only reason I know to leave the church. If you don't believe the Bible, you will not be happy here at all, because that's all we have. God answered his prayer, but he was afraid of the answer. You know what the bottom line eventually came out? He was a disciple of the Reverend Sun Young Moon. And he had suffered a nervous breakdown following Mr. Moon's teaching. And he was trying to recover himself in a smaller faith community is what the psychomelanalyst or whatever you want to call those people told him. 
that it would be good to go to a small church and get yourself straightened out. No. You have to reject the false saviors. You can't be afraid of Jesus and Him alone. I've had people tell me, get too much of that Bible, it'll make you crazy. I'm enjoying it. How many else are enjoying being crazy for Jesus? Say amen. See, I'm not afraid of Jesus as my Savior. If I'm going to trust my eternity anywhere, I want it to be with Jesus and Jesus alone. You know what? There has been no problem in my life that Jesus wasn't too big to handle. I have a few I'm facing right now that I have no idea what he's going to do. But I do know this, that I'm not going to trust in anybody or anything else. You see, I couldn't go to Bethlehem and see the babe lying in the manger. But by faith, believing in what's written in these words, I can walk those same footprints, those same paths, without ever leaving this town. But I don't only want to stop at the manger. I love the song that they picked for this morning. Not only at Christmas time, but all the year through. Not only at Easter time, because that empty tomb works 365 and one quarter days a year. Everything went to one statement. In the Hebrew, it was one word. We have it translated into English right up here behind me. Jesus uttered it while he hung on the cross. He said, it is finished. To tell us die. All the work that needs to be done. Now let me ask you, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of letting go of your church and your religion and your good works? Don't be. Trust Jesus. Are you afraid of the answer that God gave you to your prayers? You know how you can know God's answer? It's written down. If something in your life isn't matching up with this book, God's already given you the answer. Why are you afraid to just do what the Bible says? Because you got to deny yourself. Why would we be afraid to simply trust in God? I don't get this. We say we're willing to trust God with our eternal soul. Are we going to trust Him with a building in Brooklyn? That's, that's the thing we're facing right now, isn't it? Uh, are we going to trust Him with the person you have to put up with at work? I mean, Christmas is here. You're going to have to see that cousin that hates you. They just show up. Uh, can you trust God with that? Why would you be afraid to trust God? His answer is to love them anyway. I mean, if you really want to get under somebody's skin, love them anyway. They don't know what to do with that. But you personally have to go to Bethlehem. You personally. Not physically, of course. Please don't misquote me. You personally have to have faith in the living Savior. Don't try to dress yourself up with some church ritual. You see, he finished the work. The writer of Hebrews says, the author and finisher of our salvation. Don't be afraid. Believe in Jesus and all God's people said.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I pray that each one here would take a moment and be honest enough to evaluate what they're afraid of. And Lord, that they would be willing to surrender that fear to the only one who can take all fears away. Lord, those that may be here today that do not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That when they would give up on themselves and on the church and on all the good things, and just simply believe in Jesus. Lord, we pray for those that are just struggling with life. And Lord, if we were to ask that question, I think every hand in here would go up. Lord, help us just to trust in you. But most of all, Lord, during this Christmas time, as we talk about Merry Christmas and the babe in the manger, let us not forget to travel there by faith in our own hearts. And remember how much you had to humble yourself to come down and become one of us. That you could redeem us from our sins. That we might live for you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you're here today...